Hi guys, it's Marcelo Nostroza here, one of the co-hosts of Radio 815, and I've just wanted to say thank you to all of you who have been watching the show since the very beginning, and if you've only hopped on for Fringe or Lost, I thank you for sticking around. I'm not only here to give a special thank you to you guys, but I'm here to tell you guys that we're kind of moving up in the world. A couple weeks back, uh, we got our first sponsor. Before you listen to this week's episode, here's a message from our sponsor. Nobody wants to go to the doctor and hear you have a few months to live. You have an uncurable disease. Well, here at Macedynamic, we specialize in gene splicing. We do the impossible to give you and your loved ones more time together. Massive dynamic, changing the world one person at a time. This commercial has been brought to you by Calvin Genetics. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 88 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the works of writer, director, producer J.J. Abrams and the extended Bad Robot universe. I'm your co-host, Matt Crandall, here as always with Marcelo Inostroza as we are putting a bow on Fringe season one. Today, we are talking about the season finale, episode 20. There's more than one of everything, which is written by Jeff Pinkner and J.H. Wyman with a story by Akiva Goldsman and Brian Burke. The thing that I loved about this episode has nothing to do with the episode. It was all about the credits. Teleplayed by J.H. Wyman and Jeff Pinkner. And I was like, story by Akiva Goldsman and Berkey? People that love this specific universe will get that reference. But I was so happy that he actually had like a story credit because he doesn't uh, he doesn't do that almost ever. I would have loved to been a part of the room while he was pitching this story with Akiva. Last week, we were very cagey about what happened to a specific individual in Nina Sharp. ZFT shoots Nina Sharp to get a specific chemical out of her arm. Mr. Jones is going around in several places to find what he calls or what, you know, uh, Nina Sharp eventually names soft spots in our universe. And these soft spots allow uh, Mr. Jones to eventually open up a portal to the other side. So this episode really goes a long way in telling the audience that you guys think we're insane? Well, we're about to we're we're about to get into a whole nother level of craziness. The only thing that I didn't like is that I thought that the writers could have explained the concept to us a little bit less because first they had Nina do it. Then they had Olivia Broyles and Charlie do it. 
Walter does it for Peter. So I do think that the writers went a little bit, you know, exposition, exposition crazy in reference to what is happening here. I do think, and you know, it's a pet peeve of mine where we explain something over and over again. And I feel half the time it's to catch people up in case they were taking a piss at the wrong moment, because this show was still in the early days of DVR and, and catching up and watching stuff on Blu-ray or DVD or whatever. Um, and I do think that the reason that we hit this point so much is so that the ending will land and we will understand what it means. And because this is the episode that's kind of a declaration of intent for the rest of fringe where finally they're taking the, the thing out of the box that they have been teasing us with saying, giving us hints to what could be happening by saying there's something cool in this box, but we aren't going to tell you exactly what it is. And in this, they, they give you all the hints so that when that final minute happens, we understand. So when Olivia does say, where am I? And somebody says, that's very complicated. They can visually show us an image that lets us know exactly what has happened and where we are. So I did find that, yes, everyone explains, you know, this theory of soft spots and how there are parallel worlds. And But I understand the instinct because if you don't get it by the time we're in the last minute of this episode, the ending won't make any sense. And if the ending doesn't make sense, are you going to tune in for season two where the whole arc is going to be about this? So I get it, but yes, it got very repetitive as we were watching it. I did like, you know, that attack on Nina Sharp where she gets, you know, uh, attacked and it is people who are stealing a power cell out of her arm. And we're like, what? <laughs> like, we've never heard of this. And they say, well, this thing is super powerful. If it's in the wrong hands, we're in trouble. And I think Charlie or somebody says, what can it do? And they say, the question is actually, what can't it do? Like, this thing is that serious. And then we see that the person who has it is our good old buddy, David Robert Jones, who is looking like the invisible man with all these bandages on his face. And it's a classic you know, universal monsters, invisible man kind of look as he's melting. And I loved seeing them test out this tech and they bring half of a truck through this portal. And I thought that that was a very clear and easy to follow way to let us know kind of what they're trying to do. They're trying to rip a hole to, to travel between two universes that are very similar, but different. And when this show is airing, it is not 2022, where the second you say multiverse, everybody goes, got it. Easy. Done. Not a problem. I'm with you. This was still in a time where, like, multiverse, you kind of had to walk people through what that was. So I like that this truck thing where then we're examining the, the VIN numbers and stuff, and they're like, this truck was never made. It doesn't exist in our existence. Where did it come from? And they're piecing that together. I thought that was a really good way to bring us into this concept that when this episode aired would have been a little bit foreign to us. And then the emotional stuff where Walter is on 
his sort of walkabout after he's hung out with the observer. And we see him at these different things, a graveyard at the house. And I just love that we know that we're building towards some emotional revelation that Walter has been hinting at this entire season. The way that he solemnly talks about that incident where he met the observer, where he was trying to, to save Peter, how he put this technology together to try and get a cure for something and then didn't have to go through with it. We still don't have all that picture. And by the time this episode ends and we get that final moment, there are three like, holy shit, this is incredible moments in the episode. And they all come mostly in that last, that last block where we get, you know, jumping ahead a little bit, we get the incredible reveal of Walter at the gravestone and we see the gravestone and we realize that Peter Bishop in our, our world, our earth died as a child. He's dead. So that moment is Holy fuck. Holy shit. Are you kidding me? The second we finally see William bell as played by the legendary Leonard Nimoy in the last minute, because the whole time this, mission is going on. Olivia is told like, if she can save the day here, Nina will pull the strings to let her have a face to face with William bell. So we get, that's the number two. Oh my God. Holy shit. They got Spock. And number three is the reveal that that final meeting is actually taking place in alternate earth, not our earth. We come out. She's in the MFN world trade center. World Trade Center has not been attacked. And that lets us know in that final shot, Olivia has has crossed over. Marcella, what are you thinking as we're getting these huge revelations that we have been waiting for all season? I'm so happy that you brought up the gravestone because as Walter is trying to find something that the Observer tells him that he needs to find a couple of scenes in the episode. We see Walter looking at a grave, but we never see the grave in the final moments of the episode for Walter. When Walter walks up to the grave again and he puts the, the coin on top of the grave and the camera shows the gravestone, Peter Bishop and then has a date. You're like, Holy fuck. As an audience member, that's when your head goes click and says that's what Walter must have been talking about when he was speaking to Peter inside the house. And he basically said, I have done something that is inexcusable. So until that turn happens, you're like, what the hell is he talking about? Is he, is he insane? Because, you know, uh, most of the scenes in the house are just Walter, you know, crazy looking for something. But we know, subconsciously, we know it's important because if it wasn't important, the Observer wouldn't have come to take him in the last episode. But when he finds this thing, you're like, what is this? A remote control? Is this a garage opener? Peter uses it in the third act to basically split Mr. Jones in half as he steps through the portal all these elements really lead up to that scene of Walter walking up to the grave 
and then seeing, you know, Peter Bishop. And then smart eagle eye viewers will be like, this whole thing is your fault. Something that you did caused everything that is happening here and now. And I don't care how nice you are, but as an audience member back then, well, not back then, because back then I wasn't smart enough to figure out what the fuck was happening. But as an audience member today, I was like, God damn it, Walter, you're a nice guy, but you need to answer for this thing that you have done. Because no matter what you have gone through, what you did is inexcusable. The ripples of everything that you've done to make yourself feel better is going to cost the lives of millions of people to come. And it's all on your shoulders. So I really liked the thematic unspoken consequences of what this could mean. The other thing that I really didn't like is that, you know, uh, since Mr. Jones was introduced, played by a lovely, lovely actor, he's he's got one of the best voices ever. But his character, I felt, really got reduced. When Nina, when Nina Sharp mentions at a point in the episode that Mr. Jones was one of the first employees for Massive Dynamic ever. He was like the adopted son of William Bell. And William Bell, in true bad robot father fashion, you'll get that, guys. If you've been listening to us for a while, you'll get that. Never gave, never gave Mr. Jones the respect that he deserved. Mr. Jones always thought that he was more special than he was. So... The entire reason that Mr. Jones is doing this, the entire reason that Mr. Jones is looking for soft spots in our universe to open up a portal to go to the other side is to be like, Daddy, aren't you impressed with what I did now? I really am special. You should have gave me more responsibility. Look at me. I'm so special. And I'm like, you're going to take a character like that and do that? Of all the things that ZFT could have been, it all boils down to a spoiled little brat trying to impress his father figure. I mean, come on. You guys could do better than that. Akiva, you guys could have done better than that. So I was really disappointed with that aspect of this episode. But it was a minor thing because, as you said, this is the point in the show where the show puts a line in the sand and it opens up the box and says, okay, guys, if you're not, if you're with us, jump in. So I really enjoyed this episode for those qualities that I thought it had. Yeah, absolutely. And I do agree that it was so cool that we got more backstory on David Robert Jones, but I didn't necessarily love the backstory. And then the fact that he dies in an epic fashion by the end, like when he is, you know, basically cut in half because of this closing portal. I thought that was amazing. But we have really built him up to be this big threat and it's like, okay, he actually signed a six episode deal and we were only ever going to do those six episodes and that was it. So that's a little bit disappointing, but I do like finding out that he was this protege of William Bell, who he did look up to him and he worked at massive dynamic and he has felt betrayed. I, I do agree that kind of this like petulant child trope, 
where you think you're more special and you want to prove to people you're special by doing horrible things has kind of been played out, um, especially at this point in time when we're reviewing this. So I, I did think that maybe that could have gone a little bit better. But when we find out that information is when we also find out more about, again, setting up what we're going to get at the end, where Nina says, you know, I've only been communicating with Bell electronically because part of them thinks, okay, if this is all because David Robert Jones is mad at his dad, let's just get his dad to stop him. And she's like, well, we can't because he's not here. Like, I've only been talking to him electronically for months. So, like, I can't. I can't do that. But if you stop him, then I will make sure that you can meet with William Bell. So I thought that was interesting. And as Walter is looking for that thing in that, in the house, we find out that David Robert Jones's tech opens the portal between worlds so that you can cross through or bring something either way. And that Walter has a device that can close it. And seal it shut. And he says that the reason that he made this. And again, this is all if you haven't seen the other episodes, because we do know, you know, traumatic event when Peter was a child, that moment when Walter says to Olivia, I'm sure you must have read about Peter's history in his file. Please don't tell him anything that was in there. And she says, I didn't read it. I don't I don't know what you're talking about. And in that scene to remind us in case we don't remember that is where Walter says that one time he lost something very dear to him and he was determined to go and get it from another reality. And this device was made to make sure that nobody could follow him. And when you're watching this now and we realize, you know, he grabbed Peter because his Peter was dead and brought him through. When you rewatch it now, especially post Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, we start to think, well, what about the Walter from the other universe whose son was kidnapped? That guy is going to be mad as hell because as we're watching this now, like I said, in Multiverse of Madness, Scarlet Witch realizes if she takes her kids and gets them back, She's actually taking them from another Wanda who loves those kids just as much as she is. And it's perpetuating this horrible cycle of pain. So this, I like now that when you watch this, we start to wonder about a guy that will show up and we will refer to as Walter Nitt, but I don't think I know necessarily thought of that at the time. So I like that when you watch this now, you're like, everything is here and him making that device was specifically to make sure that himself on the other side didn't stop him, which also speaks to Walter's madness, but also the depth of his grief that he would be willing to screw over himself in another universe just to make him feel better, which again adds more layers to Walter and just the way he's being played by John Noble in equal measures, so vulnerable, but yet we can see that hurt and pain, but there's still that madness. And of course we, we reference how much LSD him and William Bell did again. And I just love, there's a part where he says, you know, when belly and I were younger men, 
We regularly ingested large quantities of LSD. And Peter very sarcastically goes, you don't say. And I just thought that was a nice, a nice moment. But I love that we're putting these layers in and really setting up where the story can go. So as sad as I was that we kill off a great villain in David Robert Jones and end his mission by shutting down his portal, we do open up this other thing where, all right, this Peter is not Peter from our earth. He was stolen. And if he was stolen and we shut that thing to make sure that people couldn't follow, but now soft spots are popping up and people on our side are opening gates are people on their side doing the same thing. And is it just a ticking clock until the reckoning that Walter Bishop has been putting off is finally going to catch up to him. And certainly with that ending where Olivia has crossed over is in the South building of the world trade center really implies that going forward in fringe, we are going to be existing in both of these worlds. But if that other world doesn't have a Peter because he's in ours, what about that other sides, Olivia Dunham, Walter Bishop, Philip Broyles, what are they doing? How are they connected? And then we start to realize, Oh, so it was last episode where Olivia was in alternate universe Broyles office. Okay. So now we start to think, how was that happening? We know that Cortexafan is still in play and that that makes people special. Marcella, what are you thinking as we're getting all of the, the picture is finally revealed in sort of this forward trajectory and it's reframing some of the stuff that we have seen previous. When I was watching this today and on subsequent rewatches, I can't tell you how blessed I was because you guys know that I'm a Star Trek fan. And as a Star Trek fan, we are used to, you know, you know, alternate realities. But I kid you not, guys. And I will say this, you know, under oath. The first time that I ever saw a multiverse anything was on Fringe. And just the style of storytelling that we're going to get into... As we move forward, uh, uh, from you know into season two now and onwards, I think is going to be so exquisite. I mean, it's not perfect to all of us. I'm sure that we're going to get into we're going to get into it when we start talking about season four, and I'm sure we're going to get into it in season five. The large scale storytelling, not on a not on a effects level, but just the storytelling in itself is so special in Fringe and is so well-crafted. I don't know if you noticed this, Matt, but when Peter pulled up to his to, to his beach house to find Walter there, the camera does something very, very unpurposed. You see the car pull up through one of the windows in the house, right? And one color on the window is, is, uh, is blue. And the other one is red. Did you catch that? I did not. <laughs> Didn't clock it. That is a visual cue that the people behind Fringe are going to use to, to differentiate our universe from their universe. So I don't know if that was intentional or if that was just, say, something that they did or something that 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 uh, that uh, the director who directed this specific episode 
did for whatever reason. But I, I, I like to think that everything that they did in Fringe is premeditated to 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 a certain point. So I'm I'm just I I really really loved the storytelling throughout season one. I really really did, and going back and being able to talk about it in such a specific way like we do has just been so much fun. I will just mention one more thing um, that I didn't like. Uh, you guys may have you guys may may have recalled that I wasn't too pleased with the way that. Olivia basically kind of just stepped in, you know, and stepped in, you know, and sort of, sort of confronted Walter about all his interesting behavior when it came to the Cortex event trials. And she did it quite in a dramatic fashion by just waiting until Peter stepped out of the room. And I was very disappointed that she came down on Walter in that specific way. And I was very intrigued to see if there were going to be any repercussions to that on Peter's side, on Peter's side of things. And I was, and I was very disappointed that Peter just sort of like, eh, I get it. I forgive you. I thought that his reaction should have been a little bit more, not outrage, but I just wanted a little bit more from Peter in that moment. What did you think about that? Yeah, they, and it's funny because I mentioned, you know, last week, what was she waiting outside that place until Peter went to take a piss and then spotted her moment. And they kind of call that out because he says like, I get it. And I get why you waited till I wasn't there. And he even mentions like, you know, you waited until I conveniently went to go to the bathroom to do this. I am surprised that we didn't have it be a bigger issue because they basically address that it happened and then quickly move on. Part of it, I think, is just this finale is about to unleash so much information that we can't spend time dwelling on too much of the emotional stuff that happened before. But I do think that we still need to bring that back around somehow because it's not fully over with we've addressed it but just because we started to dig that hole doesn't mean we've filled it in so i do think that there is more to go on with that and that was slightly disappointing that we we acknowledge it but we didn't dig into it fully and i do think you are right that you know everything they do on this show is very intentional especially visually it's it's quite well done and they probably are taking you know, it's very easy to think part of the inspiration would be something like the matrix where we have a quick visual shorthand that anything that's slightly tinted green, we know we're in the matrix and not in the real world. So if we are going to be going between these universes a lot, it would make sense to give us a visual cue that we can identify with each side of this, this coin. So they don't have to always say, we're in Earth 2 now, and we're in Earth 1. If they do a visual way of identifying it, it'll make it much easier. So I think you are right that there were some hints of that and some foreshadowing of how they're going to try and explain that. Marcelo, now that we have seen all 20 episodes of the first season, we've gotten a clear picture of what they were trying to accomplish. How successful were they overall? What would you grade this first season 
out of out of on a scale of like one to ten. Um, I would give it now. Another friend of mine says that I am, you know, that I am notoriously psychotic about my ratings. I'm very, very hard on my ratings, and I'm very, very hard on the creators, on the creators that I that uh, create my favorite shows, and I'm very hard on the writers who write these shows that I love so much. But I really loved the first season of Fringe. I thought that it did something unique at the time, very unique, because I had never seen this before. And as I, you know, you know, as I mentioned previously, the storytelling in Fringe is so expertly it is so expertly planted that it's just so rich and it's just so well thought out in in such a way that I don't think that um I don't think that a lot of uh uh writers rooms who are making shows TV who are making shows today think out their story this point by point the way that the fringe writing staff did I just love the storytelling that was done this season but it wasn't perfect for me. It's I, I still had some issues here and there. So out of 10, I would give the first season of Fringe an 8. All right. Fair enough. I was going to go 8.5. So there were a few that I didn't enjoy. But overall, very entertaining and certainly room for improvement. But they are starting to show that the serialization is creeping in and it's going to be much more important going forward than just these case of the week, which is great if you're watching law and order. But when I watch my sci-fi shows, I want that continual serialization that gets me more invested as we go. And I'm happy that fringe dives headfirst into that in a big way. As we continue on, if you guys are watching along with us next week on episode 89 of radio eight one five, we will be talking about, the Fringe Season 2 premiere, A New Day in the Old Town, which is a co-write between everyone's favorite guy, Akiva Goldsman, and J.J. Abrams. It is going to be a hot one. It is directed by Akiva that is going to set the stage for where this show wants to go. So that is the homework if you are watching along with us. If you guys have any comments, questions, we would love to hear from our listeners. Please make sure you like, follow, subscribe, tell your friends, check us out on Insta, Twitter, whatever it is. But you can reach out on Twitter using the hashtag Radio815 or directly at JJUniverse815. I am on Twitter. I am at Matt Crandall. If you want to chat Top Gun or Jurassic, hit me up on there. Marcelo, you are also on Twitter. What is your handle so people can reach out to you? I'm at CreekFanatic88. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We appreciate everyone for tuning in. Until next time, Radio 815 over and out. The music featured in this episode was written and composed by Miguel Johnson. Radio 815 is a Balloonhead Productions presentation in association with Killer Newt Productions.